Hello, this is Aaron Sims. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, in this episode, I will be talking about the Divine Liturgy, um, which is basically the, uh, the the worship service that many uh, Christian denominations use in, um, in various forms, but the basic concept's the same. So liturgy comes from a Greek word that basically means public service, and it's the, the worship service or the worship format that we use uh, at church, and it's semi-fixed. And what I mean by that is um, normally there's fixed elements within the liturgy, and then there's, um, there's variable elements that change throughout the church year. And I'll um, probably talk about the church year in a different episode. But uh, the, the idea of, the, of worship itself is that we come to receive God's gifts through the worship service, through his means of grace, of the proclamation of the gospel, and the administration of the sacraments. So worship is us coming to receive from God his grace through these means of grace, and then we respond in prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Um, So that's kind of the pattern. God gives, we receive, and then we respond with praise. Um, And I mentioned each uh, church tradition or denomination uh, typically has its own, own liturgy, uh, but they share common elements, and the liturgy as a whole um, developed out of the the first few centuries of the New Testament era as the church started to grow. Um, so the church started in house churches, basically fairly small congregations, people worshiping in someone's house, and then as it became a a recognized religion by the Roman state, they moved into larger buildings, and the services size grew. And then new elements were added to the liturgy to account for that. Uh, And I'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But there's two main parts of the liturgy. There's the service of the word and then the service of the sacrament. So the the service of the word is the the part of the the worship service that includes readings from the Bible and a sermon uh, preached typically on one or more of those readings. And the readings are assigned to the Sunday in the church year or the liturgical year. So... Uh, within many congregations, there's a three-year cycle of readings, and um, and and each Sunday then has an, a set of assigned readings: an Old Testament, uh, a Psalm, and an Epistle. Um, sorry, uh, an Old Testament, an Epistle, and, an, and a New Testament Gospel reading, and then uh, a Psalm to accompany it as well. Uh, and some churches also use a one-year lectionary readings, where um, you you read less texts, but you read the ones you do read more often because you're repeating them every year. So that's the service of the words. It's the readings and the sermon. And then there's the service of the sacrament that typically follows, and that's the celebration of Holy Communion, also known as the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, uh, which means Thanksgiving. So those are the two basic elements. And when the early New Testament church worshipped in private homes, uh, those were were basically the two parts of the service. Uh, they read, um, read some readings from Scripture. A sermon would be preached. They celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would collect an offering and then um, and sing some hymns um, throughout that, and then they'd go home. Well, once they started moving to larger public buildings, there were times in the service where there was movement. You know, people moving from one portion of the church to the other, uh, such as when you're moving up to the altar for communion. Uh, when you're going into the sanctuary at the beginning or when you're leaving the sanctuary. So various uh, elements were added to the liturgy to kind of cover these periods of, of, of movement. Um, so 
there's also then a number of adaptations of the liturgy to special times or occasions um, that are oftentimes just variations of the service of the word. So um, a lot of times the service of matins is celebrated um, in the early morning or the service of vespers for evening services. And then a lot of times like Good Friday, um, there's a, a special um, uh, Good, uh, Good Friday tenebrae or service of darkness that's used that's based on vespers. But the basic Sunday service is centered around the service of the word and the service of the sacrament. And then again, there's elements around, around those two um, main parts. So I'm going to talk about the different parts of the service as a whole. So there's pre-service elements that come before the service of the word. And typically that's corporate confession and, and absolution, where the pastor and congregation confess their sins, and then the pastor absolves the sins of everyone in the name and by the authority of Christ. And then there's an entrance hymn. Um, and then uh, a lot of times during the entrance hymn, that's where the the, the cross and those assisting in worship will enter. Um, and then there's a Kyrie, which means Lord, but it's a liturgical hymn uh, that's sung and asking for the Lord's mercy. And then typically there's a hymn of praise, such as the Gloria or um, This is the Feast uh, to Praise Christ. So that's kind of the pre-service elements. And then there's the service of the Word itself, which starts with the salutation where the pastor says, the Lord be with you, and the congregation says either, uh, and also with you, or and with your spirit, or sometimes just amen. And then there's a collect of the day, which is a prayer that's assigned to the to the day, and it's thematically linked with the rest of the service and for the readings of that day. Uh, and then there's an Old Testament reading, and sometimes it's just called the, the first reading when there's a New Testament epistle used in place of the Old Testament reading. Uh, which is done on certain occasions. Then there's an epistle reading, so that's from a, one of the letters in the New Testament. Then there's uh, the Alleluia and Verse, which is a short liturgical hymn appropriate to the, the season of the church here. Then there's a gospel reading, so uh, it's read from either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Then following the gospel reading, normally there's a hymn of the day, which is a uh, uh, a hymn related to the readings and typically the sermon that the pastor's going to preach. So the pastor will pick a sermon, um, excuse me, pick a, a hymn that matches the theme that he's going to preach on, which also ma- matches the uh, biblical text that he's going to preach on. Then after that, there's the sermon. So again, that's centered around one or more of the readings. And then typically there's the creed. Following that, so that's a corporate confession of faith using normally either the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed. Uh, on Trinity Sunday, typically the Athanasian Creed's used instead. It's because it's longer and it talks in a lot of detail about the uh, the three persons of the Trinity. And then uh, after the Creed, there's a what's called the Prayer of the Church. So that's a, a corporate prayer. So the whole congregation prays elements of it together. It's led by the pastor, and again, it's normally thematically linked with the readings and with the Sunday of the church here. And then there's an offering and a hymn sung during during that or after that, and that's the end of the service of the word. And then on Sundays where communion celebrated, uh, what follows then is the service of the sacrament. So that begins with the, the preface, which is basically a liturgical greeting, uh, formalized greeting between the pastor and the congregation. 
Then there's the, the proper preface, which is a prayer um, to God by the pastor, which is thematically linked to the liturgical season. Then there's the Sanctus, which is a hymn that consists of um, t- uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, and Matthew 21, 9. Then there's a prayer of thanksgiving uh, to give thanks to God for the Lord's Supper. And then there's the words of institution. So uh, these are um, a, that's a recitation of Christ's words when he instituted the Lord's Supper from Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, and then also 1 Corinthians 11. And different, different church bodies use um, slightly different formulations, but the, typically it's an amalgam from um, these different texts in the Bible. And then um, during the words of institution, the communion elements, the bread and the wine, are consecrated by the pastor. So then after that, there's the Lord's Prayer um, that everyone prays together. And then there's the Pax uh, Domini, which uh, means the peace of the Lord. So the pastor says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And the congregation says, Amen. Typically the elements are raised um, uh, up to show that the peace of the Lord comes through uh, the body and blood of Christ. Then there's the singing of the the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God hymn. Um, and then sometimes during this singing of this hymn, the, the clergy and assistants commune together um, while the, the congregation sings the hymn so that after the hymn ends, the distribution of communion to the rest of the congregation can occur. And that's where um, the communion elements are, are given to the congregation, normally at the altar. So um, different church bodies and Congregations even have different methods of doing this. Sometimes, um, sometimes everyone comes up all at once. Sometimes it's different rows of people who come up. But the basic um, basic flow is that people come up to the altar. The bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ, are given to the communicants, and then they go. Um, they're blessed, and then they go back to their seats. And then following um, communion, once everyone has communed, there's a post communion can. Canticle, so it's a short hymn, normally either um, the, uh, a, a liturgical hymn called Thank the Lord or the Song of Simeon, um, also known as the Nuke Dimittis, which simply means now you dismiss. Those are sung following communion. And then there's a post-communion collect, which is a, a corporate prayer sung at the very end. Um, so that's the service of the sacrament. And then after that, Right before service closes, there's a couple post-service elements. Um, there's the benediction, which is the closing blessing, and it comes from Numbers 6, 24 to 26. It's also called the uh, Aaronic blessing because it uses the words of Moses' brother Aaron. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you peace. That's the benediction. And then uh, normally there's a closing hymn as well, which also, again, is tied in with the readings um, and the Sunday of the church here. So that's the basic element of the liturgy. So one of the nice, there's a few nice things about the liturgy. Um, One of it, nice things, is that for churches who use the liturgy, no matter what congregation you go to, there's at least elements of the service that you will recognize if you're coming from another congregation that uses the liturgy. Um, And it also helps tie in um, different denominations together. So, for instance, uh, a Lutheran service and a Roman Catholic service and an Anglican service, um, the liturgies are very similar, and so there's some familiarity uh, for people uh, among those different services. And then 
also uh, the liturgy is is focused around proclaiming the gospel of Christ. So it's um, God giving us His grace through Christ, us receiving it, and us responding in prayers and prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. So the liturgy formulates worship around that that flow of God giving and us responding. Um, and what that also means too is that if the sermon is not that great or bombs or does not properly proclaim the gospel, then at least the liturgy is proclaiming the gospel. Um, so it's kind of a, a safety net, if you will, that at least if you go to a service and the liturgy's used, you're at least receiving the gospel in some form. Uh, you should be receiving it through the sermon as well, but if, if, if you don't or uh, if you're not, you're at least getting it through the liturgy as well as the the sacraments, as, which are part of the liturgical um, life of the church. So that is the uh, that's the liturgy. Um, and again, I mentioned that there's certain elements that change throughout the church year or the liturgical year. And I'll say a few words about that. the The liturgical year starts in Advent, and uh, Advent's really a season of repentance and anticipation, and it's got two horizons of focus. First, it looks towards Christ's incarnation as it leads up to Christmas, and it also anticipates Christ's final return for the resurrection and the judgment. So the Advent readings and Advent services typically have those two horizons in mind. You look at Christ's birth and his return. Then there's, there's the Christmas season. It uh, begins on December 25th with the birth of Christ, and it ends on January 5th. And these are the 12 days of Christmas, which lead up to the Feast of Epiphany. And so the season of Epiphany begins on January 6th with the feast, and that's the celebration of the Magi visiting uh, Jesus to worship him. And the focus of Epiphany is, is the manifestation of Christ to the world and a revealing of who he is as the Son of God and the Savior of all nations. And a lot of cultures uh, celebrate Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday, just prior to Ash Wednesday when Lent begins. Um, so Lent's the next season, and its focus is on the suffering and death of Christ. And it's also typically a season of repentance, as the church uh, anticipates Christ's death on Good Friday. And Lent starts on Ash Wednesday as uh, Christians remember their sins and look to Christ for salvation, and it ends with Easter Sunday. And so then you have Easter. Um, so again, it starts on Easter Sunday, although Holy Thursday, um, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday are typically seen as one continuous service. Um, and Easter's focus is on the resurrection of Christ from the dead, where he triumphed over sin and death. And it ends, uh, the Easter season ends on the day of Pentecost. And the date of Easter is variable each year. And then there's Pentecost, which is the longest season of the church year, and its focus is on the growth of the church following Christ's ascension. So it starts on Pentecost Sunday, which is the, um, the seventh Sunday after Easter Sunday, and it ends with the last Sunday of the church year, and then the church year is over, and then Advent begins again. And then uh, I mentioned there are special days within the church year. Uh, there's Christmas Day, which is the... Uh, celebration of Christ's birth. There's a Feast of Epiphany that I mentioned that's uh, the visit of the Magi to worship Christ, and it shows Christ as the Savior of all nations. And then there's Transfiguration Sunday, uh, which um, celebrates Christ's uh, uh, transfiguration before Peter, James, and John on the mountain. 
um, when he reveals to them who he is more fully, and they see Moses and Elijah talking with him as a demonstration that the the Old Testament prophets were pointing to Christ, and that Christ is the center of all scriptures. Um, and then there's Ash Wednesday, which uh, again start, begins the season of Lent, and traditionally Christians gather together to confess their sins, receive absolution, and uh, mark mark themselves with um, uh, with crosses uh, with with ashes from uh, from palms palm branches. Uh, and then there's Palm Sunday, which begins Holy Week, which uh, culminates in Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. And typically there's a palm processional that the congregation sings. And, uh, and, and there's palm branches used as part of the service as well. Then there's uh, Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday. That's, uh, the, on that night, we celebrate um, communion to remember Christ's last meal with, with his disciples on the night of his arrest. And then following uh, the celebration of communion, uh, we strip the altar as a symbol of Christ's arrest and trial. And then the next day after Holy Thursday is Good Friday, where we remember Christ's crucifixion. And typically the altar's bare. The worship environment is dark. Um, there's normally candles that are extinguished during the service. And at the end of the service, the altar book, which is pretty big, is, cla- is closed pretty loudly to symbolize the sealing of uh, Christ's tomb after his death. Then um, there's... Uh, Two days later, on Easter Sunday, that's the big celebration of the church here. Um, that, in addition to um, to Christmas, but Easter Sunday is is is, is arguably the, the bigger celebration where Christ defeats sin and death and he rises from the dead. And um, some churches actually start an Easter vigil the night before, which culminates in the early morning hours, and a lot of churches um, conduct baptisms on, on the day of Easter. And it's meant to be joyful and to stand in contrast to the season of Lent that preceded it. And then, um, then there's Pentecost Sunday. That's when the season of Pentecost begins. It commemorates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, as related in Acts chapter 2. And so, therefore, the season of Pentecost is focused on the growth of the church through the working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, then there's Trinity Sunday, which follows Pentecost Sunday. And again, this day focuses on the triune nature of our God and focuses on each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and what that really means. And uh, again, that's the day where typically the Athanasian Creed is used as a confession of faith. And then um, also there's a Reformation Sunday that the Reformation churches celebrate. Um, that um, falls on October 31st every year, although... Um, obviously, that's not going to be a Sunday every year, so typically, typically the Sunday before the 31st is when it's celebrated. And it's a commemoration of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed um, his 95 theses on the door of the church in uh, Wittenberg, Germany. And a special, there's a special emphasis that's placed on the eternal gospel on that day. Then there, the next day, um, November 1st, is All Saints Day. And uh, the day preceding it is All Hallows' Eve, also known as Halloween. Uh, and All Saints' Day is the celebration of, of the lives of the saints, or all Christians, who have come before us. And many congregations will read the names of departed Christians um, on All Saints' Day. And then uh, finally, there's the last Sunday of the church here, and the end of the Pentecost season. 
and a special emphasis on that day is laid on the promise of Christ's return, um, since the next season is Advent, which anticipates both Christ's incarnation as well as his return for the resurrection of us. So those are the main holidays throughout the church here, and then um, there's a number of feast days, too, spread throughout the year to celebrate various saints and martyrs. So I hope that um, hope this has been helpful. I hope you learned a few things, and stay tuned for future episodes. Thank you.